We're back for part two. We're still here. We're still here, which ironically, this will be recorded before the first the the first part. Yeah, because because you know, technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. It happens to every great podcast. What is the best movie that you didn't? The like? The best movie of this entire year that I didn't like of the year and the decade. When I when I mean this, we've talked before about how I feel about Taxi Driver. How I know it's a good movie. I don't even necessarily dislike it. I just don't think it's as good. I don't like it nearly as much as everyone else does. So for this year, I'd have to say it was, uh, or for 2019, for me, it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Didn't really vibe with me as much as it did with everyone else. I still really uh-huh. liked it. Uh, well, see, the thing about it is that even the ones that I really like, or uh, or the ones that everyone really likes, I don't think there's any of them that, you know, the revered ones that I don't like. Well, yeah. You're talking about of the decade, right? Yeah. Not necessarily that you don't like, but that you just don't vibe with as much. Uh, actually, no. I, I changed my mind. There is one I don't like. It's Moonrise Kingdom. Again, I know beating a dead horse, but... Something uh, other than that. Okay, Come other on. than that... Well, there, okay, there's one that I'm not vibing with, and uh, it's probably Roma. Really? Yeah, I feel bad saying that. I feel bad that you said it as well. It's super technically well-made, but I just never could get behind any of the characters. I don't know. That's how I feel about a, lo- a lot of Quaron movies. Did you watch it once? Or I, only, it I did only watch it once. Well, there you go. That could be why, but I just thought it was a technical masterpiece and kind of left me a little a little empty at when it was over. The movie for me that really did that, a very similar feeling, was The Master. Where oh, I think it was yeah. utterly brilliantly made, and I can see the technical craft behind it, but I I really I genuinely don't think it's as good as a lot of people say it is. I think it's alienating and partially on purpose, but it's alienating in a way that just makes it kind of a slog to get through, and it's not particularly accessible. Uh, I mean, I can't necessarily agree, but I do find it's hard to put into words why I like The Master so much. It is a strange movie. It is a wandering movie. I still don't really know what it's about or where it's trying to be, but I like it nonetheless. See, that might be it, that I can't figure it out. That that just I, that puts but me like, off. It's like we've discussed. It's a mystery that I like solving or chasing. And I just don't... The main character doesn't interest See, me. See, the main character doesn't interest me either. I like everything around the main character. I will say that Philip Seymour Hoffman, that's a great performance. That's the one part of the movie that holds together for well, me. Let's, let's be fair. Has he ever given a bad one? Probably, but I don't know. Every actor has their day for mediocrity. That's fair. Look, look who we have, who Chandler. I knew it was... I f***ing knew it was going to be Kibby. Did you? I did. I, that was one of the two that I thought it was going to be. It's our good friend, Caitlin. Oh, wow. It's me. Is that you? Oh, Jacob, you shouldn't on my birthday. You shouldn't have. (laughs) This is actually the first time we're talking in a while. It is. Yeah, it's. I I talked to Caitlin when she was uh, last here. Caitlin, would you like to? uh, Who are you? You're in L.A. And what are you doing in there? I am in L.A. I'm in my house currently. Um, I just got off of work where I work at. CBS Studios. Um, I work for a little show that you might know of called The Price is Right. If you've ever been sick and absolutely cannot find a single thing to do that is even slightly entertaining, then you've heard of this show. You know, 
You say that as a joke, but that's how most people know our that's show. That's how I know it. Because of Sick Days. Yeah. yeah. Sick Days, uh, Price is Right, and Family Feud. Actually, I also know Price is Right from sometimes they'll post clips of funny moments from the show on YouTube, and it gets recommended. We're leading in um, child illness viewers, so... Wow. Is that an actual statistic? No. <laughs> okay. I wish it was. You got to edit this whole thing out. They're not going to enjoy this PR. Yeah, so we went to uh, college together. I didn't. Kibza, uh, well, no, but you were friends with us when we were at college. This is true. Yeah. So, and we've since separated, and Caitlin's found an actual job, unlike the rest of us, out in Hollywood. Yeah, I have an actual job. It's just not good. Yeah. How's life in Hollywood treating you? Um, I love it here. It's... Uh, it I, it doesn't feel like I've moved away. It feels like I moved home, which sounds corny, but I really do like it here. My job is freaking exhausting. I work minimum 10-hour days. Ugh. But, you know, I always say I might be at the bottom of the barrel, but I'm in the barrel. Unlike the rest of us. Um, No, it's good. I am very excited for you guys to get out here eventually because I'm lonely and I have no friends. Oh, hey, I have that too. And I'm here with friends. Uh, on good news for, for everyone, maybe not for the listeners of the podcast, I am very close to finding a job. Hey! Yay, Jacob! Here? A good job as well. No, unfortunately, Tucson? that's the bad news. Uh-huh. It's in Tucson, well, yeah. R.I.P. Um, the dream. But the good news is that it is good enough that I might be able to save up money faster than I otherwise would be able to. So. Hey! That's good news. But we are here to discuss the our favorite movies of the decade, and... Caitlin, I know, has a very specific taste in, in movies. And oh, yeah. I'm just going to pass seen it about, off. She's seen about three movies and two of them <laughs> of this decade. And they're both great. Yeah, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not the best at watching movies. I'm not very good at keeping up. I'm not very good at watching the classics. But I have very strong opinions about the ones that I have seen. So More of a TV girl. Yes, I would stick with that um i have an interest in working in tv therefore i focus a lot of my energy on that but it's you know huge what? yeah i you guys have inspired me i've watched a lot more movies since we started hanging out so i'm great and she even has a criterion what do you have well, i forgot what was it i got her uh i got her francis Ha for the blu-ray player oh, she definitely yeah. owns mm-hmm. <laughs> so favorite movies of the decade caitlin <clears throat> okay well I thought we were doing of the year, so I have well, my year. Could do year too. List it's fine. Prepared. I think my favorite. I'm gonna stick with 2019. So, my, I want to preface by saying that my criteria for picking favorite movies is not necessarily technical achievement, even though I do put that into consideration. I think that movies are made for general enjoyment and the general population tends to have very different views than us who have gone to school for four years for film. Um, So I definitely bring that into consideration when I pick my favorite movies, because I think that movies are made to be enjoyed and to carry a message, because if you have that platform to speak, you might as well use it. Um, So with that being said, there's a lot of really amazing technical achievements done this year. Um, and my list may not necessarily reflect that, so don't get mad at me. Oh, it's only Jacob. Who cares? I'm I'm gonna get very mad. Um, my favorite of this year, which I feel extremely strong about, was Jojo Rabbit. Oh no! Just talk about the Nazis. Just make it quick. End my <laughs> suffering. I like Jojo Rabbit. To be fair, I 
feel strongly about Jojo Rabbit over Under the Silver Lake because, like I said, I take into consideration general enjoyment because movies are made for the general public. Um, don't get me wrong, I have two movie movie posters up in my room and one of them is Under the Silver Lake. Well, I think I thank you for recognizing that Under the Silver Lake is not your every man's movie. God it's damn not. It, it's a cult following and we want to keep our club small if it's going to be exclusive. Okay, Chandler? Yeah. Okay, the reason I feel so strongly about Jojo Rabbit this year is because it was, amongst all the other ones, the one that made me feel the most this year. And I know I've ranted about this before to you guys, but it's just... Like, I cried in it. I laughed. I, like, I was afraid at moments. I was happy at moments. I was frustrated. Whereas a lot of the other ones gave me stronger feelings, but in just one direction. So I don't I don't know. There was just something about JoJo that was so... You guys know I like lighthearted movies that are slightly coming of it's age. It's very of the times, weirdly enough, for being a movie about Nazis in World War II. It it's is, very relevant today. I felt strange after watching it, being so obsessed with it. Like, I felt... Like, it was wrong because it's about Nazis and about Hitler and, like, it's Nazi sympathizing. Well, it's not about Nazis. It has them in them. Yeah, To yeah, an yeah. extent, but, like, for a reason. And it's about, like, a child's misunderstanding, which is so profound in the sense that, like, no one tells those stories about those children that I'm sure that they existed, whereas they didn't know any better. And that, ha- like you said, that's so profound in today's day in society. Like, that's... I'm not going to get into politics here, but that's something that happens all over the world. So I don't know. And the little boy actor was just, I'm sorry, I don't know his name, but it's a well-acted Roman movie. She's all insane. And oh God, Scarlet, she killed it. Well, Scarlet's always great. I mean, yeah, of course. It was the movie that made me feel the most this year. And it stood like it stood out by far amongst the other ones so it's a movie that uh i enjoy because it emphasizes the idea that no one is born evil yes you know we're all we're all conditioned to like or hate the things that we do and it's about understanding what what we're conditioned to like and not like and judge from a outsider's perspective whether or not that is right and I like it. I like it a lot. And weirdly enough, of all the movies that have come out this year, this one almost has its own pseudo cult following because I feel like you either kind of like this movie or you obsess over it. And I know a few people that obsess over this movie just like you do. And mm-hmm. it really makes me want to visit it again because I like it fine. Also, oddly, I think it's odd that um, both people we've had on here have had uh, uh, Taika Waititi movies. Yep. Yep. Yeah. For me, JoJo is kind of like Chandler. It's just... It's a good movie. It didn't like knock me out of the park when I saw it, but it w- it was interesting hearing your perspective on it, Caitlin, because I've heard it's gotten a lot of buzz with awards and stuff, even for best picture and all that. Mm-hmm. And it, I was I was curious to see what other people got out of it because it didn't work a hundred percent for me. But everything you said, like it's all there. It's all really like impactful stuff. Taika is trying to send a very important message, I think, for now times. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. And you look at it, it's it, it looks great. It's got great set design, the actors, everything. And it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I think that the world... For you, Caitlin, it's a great movie. And for a lot of people, I really hope mean? a lot. For you. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know. I'm trying to express something. And I think the idea that I was going for was that I think more people need to watch it just to see if they would like it. Because I think it turned away a bunch of people because it was, you know, comedy with Nazis. 
but it's so much more than that and it is really great and it didn't impact me as much as it did you but i can certainly see how it was great. it's another one of those movies you were talking about like the wind rises where uh you know people criticizing it for the things that they don't include and i know a lot of people are talking about like oh this isn't what the nazis were like these are way worse people than you're depicting Another one of those cases where it doesn't matter because that's not what it's trying to be about. You know, Sam Rockwell is really uh, carving his niche as the racist with a heart of gold. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very excited to see where he can go from playing an actual Nazi. <laughs> so any, any parting thoughts on Jojo Rabbit? It's good. I love little Nick Frost kid. It's... <laughs> it was great. And I think that, like I said, like it wasn't the most the most technically advanced film of the year and it wasn't like there was definitely films that i thought that the way that it was shot was so much better or the dialogue was performed so much better but as a whole this movie was it for me for 2019 i'm going to introduce the next movie uh and it's a movie that i do not like as nearly as much as my other two <laughs> co-hosts for the moment <laughs> and it is technically the 2018 movie but hey, actually shut up. kind of 2019. Oh, it doesn't up, matter nerd. what year it came out in. But the point is, Under the Silver Lake. Hey, it let's is a, go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them just run with it in a second. So I'm just going to get my thoughts out real quick. Uh, here we go. It is certainly an interesting movie. And I will say that it was criminally underseen. And it was done a disservice by not being released in theaters. It's on Amazon Prime. I've seen it twice, and although I complained to Chandler about it... I made him watch it a second time. <laughs> it is certainly an interesting movie. It was fun. I'm glad I watched it. It does not do it for me, but I, I, am, I am eagerly awaiting these two to discuss their love for it. Uh, well, I love this movie. Big fan of this movie. Uh, as far as decade goes, it's my number four, which, you know, favorite of the year, favorite of a lot of years. Uh, it is just... I'm, I, it's hard to talk about this without being upset that other people aren't seeing it the way we see it. This movie is just, it so captures the, the, just the audience of today. It's a movie that like begs you to look into it, but also makes fun of you for looking into it. It's such a weird, trippy, surreal look into not only like Hollywood, but like the movie landscape as a whole, entertainment as a whole, where it's all personal, but also it's driven by money, but also not really, but also it is. And it's like, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it knows it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's really hard to put into words why I love this movie so much. I agree. Um, I'm going to take a very personal route on how I explain my love for this movie. So, first of all, I want to start by saying that my best friend of 20 years watched it two days ago, called me after and said, I turned it off after an hour because I was bored. And oh, I nearly blocked I'm her I'm glad number. I ruined her bathroom. <laughs> no, but um, I fell into a deep love with this movie like very soon before I moved to Hollywood which was surreal um because very soon after I did all of the touristy things such as visiting Griffith Observatory or driving around Silver Lake and it's just that adds a whole new level to the love for this movie that I have and I wish that for you Chandler you need to come out here and just do all of the under the silver lake things because it's insane please um 
But yeah, I mean, Chandler's good with his words and how to explain the complexity of this movie, but it's so... It just, it, it's more than a movie. It's an, an experience. And, uh, um, oh God, how, how do I even put this into words that make sense to someone that hasn't seen it? But it's, like you said, it begs you to look into it and to crack the code. And we literally have a Google document of things that don't make sense do. and trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out the different things of it. And I mean, spoiler alert, but, there's a part in it where there's a pirate and there's no explanation as to what the pirate There's so many means. things that have no explanation. And it's the only explanation that I can come to is that he's looking for the booty because he works with escorts. And that is the most ridiculous thing in the whole world. Booty. And saying it out loud makes me feel like an idiot. But that's the point. It's like they make you look into this and they're like, they want you to figure out what the pirate means, but when you do come to some sort of a conclusion, you feel like an idiot, which is so insane that a movie can do that. Like, the biggest example of that is, do you remember when Jesus of the band Jesus and the Brides of Dracula takes a shit and the camera lingers on the shit? <laughs> I remember watching it and I pause. I paused it at the shit part, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, what does this mean? What am I looking at? And then I thought to myself, what it means is, I think the director's making fun of me for pausing on this very, very detailed close-up of a literal turd. Yeah. I think that's the joke, but it doesn't tell you, and that's why I like it. Mm-hmm. The scene with the songwriter is so good. It is oh, yeah. so good. Arguably that's one the of the best scene scenes the of the year. Decade. That's why we're here, kid. It's decade. <laughs> okay, well, I wasn't told that it was decade. I was told it was year. No, I said decade. Also, the score is great. It's it's very reminiscent of an Alfred Hitchcock score, but with a modern twist, just like this whole movie is. This whole movie is every big L.A. filmmaker distilled into some weird, surreal, noir horror movie, and I love it so much. I immediately went online and bought the limited release edition of Jesus and the Brides of Dracula Treating Teeth and I'm record. Um, and I have, I spent a decent amount of money on it and I have not a single regret. That's the thing about, like I was saying earlier, like movies are about enjoyment and this is so much more than just a movie to me. Like it's an experience and a mystery and now it's where I live. Like it's just so much that you can like dive into and just like oh, I love it. I can't even keep can blah, blah. If if you don't stop us, we'll I'll literally be talking about this all night. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'll just say that I I can understand. I have other movies. I've already mentioned a few that are like personal picks for me that Chandler doesn't necessarily agree with. So I can't fault you both for loving this so much and it's it's inspiring to see. It's a acquired taste. I'll give it yes, that. It, it certainly is that. And I, I can't fault you for, for loving something that's a cult movie. It is well made. And Just wait. Just understand that when the cult is developed and it is raging, come back to this podcast and know that we were at the forefront of this cult. <laughs> you you have been I a fan here. you have been a fan of the movie since it first came out. So it's the so. trailer. Well I didn't I wasn't as vocal about it. But yeah, big fan of this movie. And I lost my Blu-ray copy and I'm 
pissed. So we uh, speaking of the decade, I'm going to bring up something that I know Caitlin likes, and we can talk about that. We we talked before Chandler and I about uh, Francis Ha, which is one of our favorite movies of Big the decade. Uh, which you know Greta Gerwig, who is an amazing director in her own right, and this year I know you loved it. Uh, we all loved it. She directed Little Women, but she also directed her first movie, Lady Bird, which might not be one of my favorite movies of the decade. But it certainly is one of the best of the decade, and I think it's one of your favorites. I was actually going to bring this up next, so I'm glad that you did. Um, I'm sitting under my Ladybird poster currently, so it's just begging to be talked about. Um, but yeah, that easily, without doubt, is my favorite movie of the decade. Um, I've watched it... Even more than JoJo? Yeah. Oh, easily more than JoJo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've watched it more times than I can even count at this point. In the same way that I'm obsessed with Under the Silver Lake, it's less of a mystery to me, but there's just so much about Lady Bird that every time I watch it, I find new details that I just fall in love with. Um, it's cozy. There's something about the way that Greta sees the world that I entirely relate to. Um, and the thing about Lady Bird, I think, was the, its relatability. And I don't know if you guys can connect with me on this, but um, it kind of is a controversial or not controversial, um, contradictory to the point that I'm going to make, but it something about Ladybird is it doesn't matter what life you've lived, you can relate to an aspect of it that makes you feel like you're Christine. And that's so insane to me. And I did you guys experience that at all with this oh, movie? Oh, I did. It, I connect to it a hell of a lot. I, For me, when I go into a movie, I really want it to be like the full package of like technically and like story, it's all meshed together. Mm -hmm. And Lady Bird just has some minor pacing things that for some reason prevent me from loving it as much as I should. Because like the mother-daughter relationship is kind of very similar to my my own relationship with my mom and my own, like how she uh, comes to like this, she hates Sacramento and she loves Sacramento and that's also very much how I feel about Tucson, my my hometown, mm -hmm. and you know, going off to college, and it's so relatable, and it's a wonderful movie, and at least from that perspective, it is one of my. It's personally, it makes a lot of. Uh, it's kind of poignant, and I kind of want to like it more than I do, but that's just my my feelings on Lady Bird. Well, it's right for me. It's like it's in the ten to fifteen spot. It just barely missed it for me. I love this movie. Yeah, it's that's that's my point about this movie is that no matter who you are, like you can feel what Lady Bird feels in the movie. And I think that that's what's so powerful about it. And it, it is a very cliche story. I actually I, I saw Lady Bird when it was in theaters and then I went to a screening of Real Women Have Curves um, about a year and a half later. And to be quite honest, it's the exact same story. Um, and I've. I've wanted to dig into this more and research. And when I saw the screening of Real Women Have Curves, the director was there and I almost reached out to her and was like, hey, like, have you seen Lady Bird? How do you feel about it? Like, blah, blah, blah. But the story structure is very similar in both films, but at the same time, they are different in their own ways. And something about Lady Bird just really... I connected with and I to Jacob's point about the pacing of it I've heard that frequently Nick said it about the editing um was it the speed of it like how some segments just like zoom by 
Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I rewatched it recently and I've told Chandler this. I have an issue when I watch movies at home that I often zone out easily mm. just because mm. the way my mind races past things. And it's often it's just me and on future viewings, it fixes itself. Mm-hmm. So it could be a me thing and it might fix itself. I don't know. I can't really put it into words right now. So I wish I could. See, I you know, I, I've only seen it twice and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I, I never noticed the pacing stuff. Because it captures the highs and lows of high school life so well. Just the stupid little things that you can look back on retrospect and you're like, oh, that didn't really matter. But in the moment, it's kind of your whole world and it kind of destroys you. And I think the mother character is a great sort of insert where she has the experience and the age to know that none of this really matters. It's all you know, growing pains. Mm-hmm. And I love these characters in the world so much that I don't care how long or short it is. I just like being there. It's cozy. Plus, not to mention the soundtrack is Chef's Kiss. Uh, <laughs> crash into me. That's all I remember. <laughs> I think this movie is so personal to me because I have experienced half of the shit that happens in this movie. Oh yeah, like, you're from around Northern California. I grew not Sacramento. up very close to Sacramento. Um, I wanted to move to New York. I my best friend and I have cried on the floor to crash into me dave matthews band like we i have experienced a handful of the same things that she has and it just i don't know this movie is so personal to me plus not to mention i love saoirse and timmy and oh yes the lucas like beanie the whole i can't get over it i'm gonna say this right here ladybird five out of five love it the one i like a little bit more is boyhood because i feel a lot of the same way he experienced a lot of the same things I did as a kid. And now I'm starting to wonder, Jacob, did you have a childhood? Did, were you just born a 20-year-old and moved <laughs> I from was there? born a 20-year-old film critic, and <laughs> I've aged two years since then. If you said that to me with a serious face, I would completely believe you. <laughs> Jacob hates children. <laughs> what? No, I love children. He hates I, childhood. <laughs> I, res- I resent everything you are saying right now. <laughs> Boyhood, this has nothing to do with Boyhood. Boyhood is just a boring movie, and I would watch Lady Bird three times in a row before I would watch Boyhood again. Jacob, what's your favorite film of the decade? What? What's your favorite film of the decade? Quick. We we have to wait. It's burning, but... (laughs) (laughs) To be fair... I'm not surprised. I'll tell you this, Kim. To be fair, Jacob edited his list so nothing that I put on would show up on his... So I just want you to know that you're talking to the man that took Paddington 2 out of his top 10 list. Just so we wouldn't talk about it twice. It's more so I just want to talk about movies that were personally, That's fair. like, individually important. But Paddington important. 2 is one of those movies. Yeah, you f- and I still talked about it. That's you. He is very passionate. Jacob never curses on this podcast, and ironically enough, he was cursing the most at Paddington. No way. I think I've heard Jacob say one curse word in my whole life. I think it was it was when we were drinking beers at your house and it was f***ing jackass. You can bleep me out if you need to, but that happened. That's when you know it's getting serious. <laughs> yeah, well, I I don't know. I love movies so he's so very f- no. much. And it's he wasn't no, he was he was cursing in passion for Paddington. I was. Okay, okay. I, was. Oh, I haven't watched that in a minute. I need my my dose of Paddington. Everyone does. Monthly. Everyone needs a good happy cry. A monthly dose of Paddington keeps the doctor away. 
I would not the psychiatrist away. The closest I've ever gotten to being bullied by you guys, like seriously, was when I didn't cry at Paddington. That's fair. I would just also just like to point out while we're all here, because I was thinking about mentioning it in the group chat, but since Keith is here, uh, I would just like to take a brief moment so we can all remember the time that Nathan smashed a glass door. It <laughs> <laughs> was one of our last, that was our last time together. It <laughs> was the last time. No, it wasn't. The last time we were glass. together was when we watched Francis Ha. Oh yeah, and Monsters Incorporated. Oh, right. Well, in the house. In that house, specifically. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to get over that. Ever. <laughs> look of shock on his face when that's when he finally realized his own strength well now that cabinet is doorless it's so. gone there's still glass in the house whatever life moves on yep kibby if you want to quickly mention anything else we'll, we'll wrap up this segment i watched 1917 on tuesday that was wild have you guys seen it yep yep what do you think about it um i thought it was great i could not help but spend the entire movie trying to figure out when the cuts were. But yeah, I mean, I was like squirming out of my seat, which not a lot of movies can get me to like actually be that invested in them. I, I thought it was great. It was beautifully acted. It was beautifully shot. There was some insane scenes that I would argue to say were the most beautifully crafted of the year. I, it was great. I was really frustrated at first with the Academy Award nominations because it got so many. And I guess I, I just hadn't seen it yet. And I was frustrated that other things didn't get that. But after seeing it, I'm like, ah, all right. Oh, all right. I won't be as mad. Chandler and I are going to talk about this. We're going to have a different episode to talk about this. But he thinks I'm too harsh. I think we, we both need to watch it again because um, I think both of us might have misread it a bit. I'm not watching that again. Okay, but... Actually, no, I'm not going to spoil anything for those that haven't seen it yet because it's still fairly new. I'll just say it's a beautiful movie and like a bunch of things, it didn't connect with me fully, but I think it might more on a second viewing or it might not. I don't know. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, it wasn't in my top five of the year, but it was very good. I'll give it that. I'll just say this while Kib is here. You know what's, you know what's been growing on me? Tell me. I'm, I'm getting on that Midsommar hype train. I'm not going to lie. It's a grower on me. Hell yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm slowly becoming a big fan. Maybe it's because of how obsessed I am with Florence Pugh as of late, but big fan of this movie. Florence Pugh could punch me in the face and I would thank her. I need I need to give Midsommar another watch. I still have yet to see Hereditary. It's literally right here on my Blu-rays stack above or on top of Midsommar. Sumar. I'll say Midsommar until the day I die. If I give If I give it five stars, would you say Midsommar for me? No, because I know you wouldn't mean it. Oh, what if I meant it? <laughs> oh, shit, I gave it three and a half stars. I need to watch it again. Oh, no. It's better than that, but I need to rewatch it's it. It's so I can good. Give it okay. I don't even know if you could consider it production design or costume design, but boy, is that it's movie, movie pretty. It's movie design. Chef's MF Kiss. It's a psychological breakup horror movie. Well... Kibby, thank you so much for coming on here. There was a surprise, even for me, who invited you. You, you had to have known. Well, yeah, but I wasn't sure. Shouldn't you shouldn't just know. stumble into this call. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it off of work in time, but here I am. And now there's going to be like three people in this world who will see Under the Silver Lake. Maybe we'll get another one. If you'd like to join our Under the Silver Lake cult, please... Find me on Instagram. Well, if you'd like to get it on the Google document, just shoot us an email and we can add you with special privileges, of course. We'll make a special uh, Under the Silver Lake contact sheet on the website to fill oh, out. Oh, please. Well, whenever the next uh, Florence 
Pew movie comes okay. out or the next Greta Greta Gerwig Punk. movie comes out, we'll we'll get Caitlin back on the podcast hey. for a, a proper episode. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Really, truly. It's great. It's great talking to you again. I know I miss you guys. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm just going to quickly go through my my number eight on my list because we've already talked about it. Number eight on my list is Parasite. Oh, yes. Which, you know, it's just we spent an entire 40 minutes or so talking about it on our episode four, I think, Propaganda Peaches. So, you know, if you want to hear about how much we love it, go listen to that episode. I'm just going to say it's one of the best movies of the decade and probably maybe ever made. I'll, I'll say this. Of all the movies on this list, or our lists together, this is the only one I'm 100% confident in saying it is a modern classic. It is already a classic. It There is just so much brilliance in every aspect of this movie. It is just... The movie next... The theater next to me, which I never go to because it never plays the movies I want to see right now. It is playing parasite five times today. Parasite has, it is one of the highest grossing foreign language films in the United States ever. And it is climbing up that list. It is past $30 million now, I think, which is unheard of. For, for, for it just cinema. blows my mind that this movie is getting this popular in America of all places. It won't. It won't beat Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is the number one, and that's just an ungodly like hundred and thirty million dollars in the domestic box office. But still, it's it might be very, number five of all very time. Very few times in mil- movie history is something this popular and this acclaimed actually this good. Uh, okay, there he is. It is that good. So I'm going to introduce our next guest. Our next yeah, guest. We did. No, no, we didn't. Our friend Nick Johnson, who is here, is a uh, an old friend from high school. From film school, he is a editor and is attempting to not kill himself while he edits many projects in his senior year. He's he's a he's a good man. He likes he shares my opinion more often than Chandler does on favorite movies. Thus, making but, him a good man. Yes. The, the, the qualifier of any one of my friends is how <laughs> like how, how much they agree with me on my cinematic I'm opinions. I'm a bad boy. Hi, everybody. My my audition wouldn't open. Very, very unprofessional podcaster, unfortunately. He never does podcasts. He, he has no podcast experience. I've never. This is my first. This is actually my podcast debut. Is it really? One for the I've history. I've never been books, in a actually. podcast. It's crazy. Before. I actually, on the way home from class, I was Googling what I, podcast He literally was. called me in the car ride home and I'd explained to him not only the history of radio, but how a podcast functions in the <laughs> entertainment landscape. Jesus, this this joke is going to run the rest of our runtime. I was, I, I, it was actually funny that you asked me to be on this podcast because on the way here, I was actually Googling what a movie was. <laughs> so Nick, would you like to plug your podcast and end this Yeah, I have a charade. podcast that is 20 episodes deep called Nothing with Nick Johnson where um, we vaguely talk about anything and everything, a.k.a. nothing. Um, you can, if, if you want to be a guest, email me. Uh, Chandler and I have both been on multiple I've times, twice. so uh, find those episodes. Those, those are the best, are best episodes. episodes. Those That's are good true. ones. All right, Nick, you are our third guest on here when we finally edit it all together. So we're getting I'm offended up- that I'm offended that I I come after Caitlin who doesn't watch movies. I'm just want to put that out there. We're saving the best for last because we get to talk about some of the our f- absolute favorites with our good friend Nick. So 
how about you just jump right in and let us know uh, some movies you liked? Uh, there's a couple that, when, when I'm thinking about the 2010s overall, right, there's a couple that come to mind. There's, you know, there's Grand Budapest, there's there's Social Network, there's, some of these are obvious ones, right? But then you, you get to the ones that people don't appreciate enough. And the one that comes to mind is called Burning. <laughs> what is that? Whoa! Nick. Burning is a film by a director I cannot remember the name of. Lee I Chang knew Dong. his name. Lee Chang Dong. I always get it mixed up with Corey Aida, which is it very is racist. Completely different continents. There's racial, racially charged. Um, Burning is just a beautiful piece of, of filmmaking, of writing, of cinematography, of acting especially. I think this acting in this film is underappreciated, but this is a film about a creepy weirdo that masturbates in a woman's uh, apartment after she is killed. So that's pretty much the plot of the film. <laughs> Nothing else happens. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else happens in the film. You're making it sound like no one's going to want to watch it now. No, but it's just it's just so... I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's like almost It really is indescribable. It's one of the it's one of the only films that I've ever seen that I could describe as an experience. It's almost an experience to watch it. I need I need to put some context in here uh, for me personally cuz we talked about before Blade Runner 2049 is my number 2 of the decade. And for some unknown reason to me and the universe, Burning is my by far absolute favorite movie of the 2010s and it, part of it is me but i do think that it is underappreciated but those actually it's just it is underseen just period. especially cons- you know who appreciated it actually was paul schrader oh well you know i'm not a big fan of all of paul schrader's work but so sometimes you, you win some i don't know if anybody saw paul schrader's top 10 list of the decade but his favorite movie of the decade was first reformed <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Which is his own film. <laughs> Delete. But no, I, I. But okay, so Burning is based off of a short story by the Japanese author. It's a South Korean film based on a short story by Japanese author Haruki Murakami, and the short story is literally like twenty pages long. It's super simple. It's more like an outline of a story, and Lee Chang Dong fills it out into this masterpiece of suspense and mystery and kind of it's the the puzzle box mystery that jj abrams wishes in its in his wildest dreams that he could create the fraction of what it is because you know jj abrams likes making these movies with no answers and burning is a movie much like that where it has no answers and yet it has all the answers and it's it's just wonderful it's a little it's a little uh it's a neat little mystery where you there's a lot to read into it, and there's a lot of answers that feasibly make sense, but nothing is concrete. I will say this. I'm not nearly as big into this movie as you two are, but it is a movie that is unlike any other movie I've seen. It is a very slow burn, no pun intended. It is a very confusing ending, but in the best way, and I honestly think Steven Yeun... Is, one of the best performances of the decade. He kills, he kills it. it. It's not confusing. I want to. I want to pref. I want to say that it's not confusing in the way of of content where you're you're confused what you watched. You're just confused. You don't know how to feel at the end. And it's but it's very straightforward. Yeah, and yet it, not you don't at know all. how to feel in the end. Not in the way that you can't understand it. But you feel pretty much the exact same way that the protagonist feels at the end. 
where you're not entirely sure if what you did was justified or, you know, or your suspicions were confirmed, but it doesn't tell you. And it it is one of the best ambiguous endings to a movie I've seen. It's probably my favorite ending of the entire year or decade. It's not even like in my top 30. Wow. I love the ending to Burning. It comes okay, out of good. nowhere. I, I like don't want to spoil it because I feel like spoiling this does this movie a monumental disservice. It's on Netflix. I it just is. have to preface that. It is on so Netflix. Please, it's easy watch to it. access. It's also subtitles, so if you're racist, I, w- I would sway away from or can't this read. one. Or if you're just, or if you're just a film pleb, I would also stay away from this one because this one's gonna bore you. But I have, I have, I have an assumption that there are not a lot of film plebs listen to this podcast. So I've seen it, I think five or six times and it's only been out for like a year and a half now. And every time I watch it, I notice more of how Lee Chang Dong builds the first half of the film in a way that makes it so that the puzzle is ultimately incredibly concrete. The pieces are all there and they seem to be pointing in one direction, but they're all, it's a movie that is more so than almost any other built on your own subjective perception. Mm. And your reaction to the second half of the film is very much based on how you feel about the first half of the film and how you interpreted the events, which are built to be very concrete, but interpretable in and set up a lot of the stuff that comes out later. It's a movie that is that is infinitely rewatchable just in the way that you're just intrigued to to see it unfold again. It's a perfect love triangle. It really is. You'll it you'll really find is. new answers every time you watch it. I'm sure you'll find a new evidence supporting various theories, but you'll never have any of your theories proven. Yeah. I've never had my ideas changed necessarily. But I've had I've I've questioned and found new new ideas to and new questions to pose on like why do I think this way? Like it's interesting that I'm not I'm not changing how, what I think. I'm changing why I'm questioning my own like value system. Like how did I reach this conclusion? Okay. If that makes sense. It's a very existential film. It's a very borderline depressing film, but at the same time very optimistic. Um, it probably has my favorite scene of the entire decade of any film that I've seen. <laughs> Chandler is visibly distraught. It is the scene, um, uh, the topless dance scene, the Great Hongo, as um, with Miles Davis in the background. Yes, Ugh. and it is so beautiful. It is one of the most beautifully executed scenes I think I've ever seen. A- like I've actually ever seen. And J- Chandler couldn't be more upset. And I but- could be more happy that you're saying that. <laughs> Anyways, next movie. Yeah, anyways, next guest. Thank, thanks for having me on, guys. Just so people know, uh, this and, and Parasite, same uh, cinematographer, and they oh, both look great. That. So Really? Song Kang-ho yep. did the oh, cinematography on both he might, these? He might, need to jo- he might be one of my favorites. I call it the the sexy, modern Korean thriller look. Oh, wow. He also did Mother. He did Snowpiercer. The wa- he did The Wailing as well. well that's a good that's, one. That, oh, oh, boy. <laughs> I, are there any other South Korean cinematographers that matter at this point? Who, who did Park Chan? Who did The Handmaiden? The Handmaiden's Ooh. gorgeous. Not him, I think. Yeah, it's not him. Great cinematographer, though. He also follows the DP rule that uh, Jacob and I have. The unspoken rule of dad hats, long hair, and earth tones. Almost all. 90% of DPs have that look. Look into it. The results will shock you. All right, what's next? Chandler, you yeah, want to bring, bring up something? Yeah, I'm going to bring up one that I know all three of us have seen. It's my current number two favorite uh 
film of the decade and it's also like my eighth favorite movie overall and that is the japanese anime movie night is short walk on girl Mm. i've actually i want to check out more of this director's work he's got a very interesting animation style very interesting he's got he's got uh he's done a few tv shows too i find it interesting that all the great japanese uh anime director movie directors like not the tv stuff the TV stuff, the anime uh, TV shows blend together a lot, but all like Miyazaki, Mamoru Hosoda, uh, uh, Shinkai, I can't remember the name of the director of Night of Short Walk uh, On Girl, but they all have very exceedingly different styles. And this one's probably the most animated of all of them. Yeah. So why do you like this film so much, Chandler? Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons. Um, when I first saw it, I saw I was getting a lot of good reviews and I watched the trailer and I'm like, Gah. What the hell is that? I, it look, There's so many different styles that they were going for, all within the realm of animation. And I love animation that knows its animation, you know, that uses that medium to its benefit. And it's just such a beautifully wholesome ode to the carefree nature of youth. And it makes me feel like I'm not wasting my life. And it's such a nice little warm blanket that covers so many different aspects of living in your 20s and... Uh, just being young and it's just so beautiful and it's so wholesome and it's so weird and funny and absurd it goes all over the place and it's one of those things that it would not work in any other medium besides animation can you think of a live action movie that went from like a first act drinking binge to like a second act uh, love story between a man who never changes his underwear to this weird third act surreal dream nightmare thing it's just it uses the animation so well the score is great although a little repetitive it's my minor gripe of the movie and it's just it it makes the only other animated movie that makes me feel this way is porco rosso Mm. in that i'm not entirely sure i understand what it's about but i always feel a certain fulfillment every time that i see it putting it that way i understand why you like it this movie is is it's funny you bring this up as the second movie because I would also describe this movie as an experience, but in a very different way. It's like a beautiful, it's like a beautiful roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> I don't even like know how to describe it in any other way. It's just it's so cute. It's so satisfying to view. I would say this is of the decade one of one of the best designed films overall. Their use of color and like just the animation style. It's just so satisfying to watch. And it's still, like, really well wit- written. It's, like, really funny. Um, the characters are, like, all interesting and unique in their own way. And it's just, I don't know, it's just a really satisfying movie to watch. And fun fact, when I was Googling um, about this director to see stuff he's made, he directed an episode, wrote, wrote and directed an episode of Adventure Time. Really? Wow, I did not know that. Season 6, episode Food Chain. Adventure Time implores a very similar animation style to this. Um, there's just a lot of little visual things in this movie that I think are great. Like the the scene where I don't know any of the girl uh, the people's names because they're Asian names and I can never remember them. Uh, the main actress or the main girl, sorry, uh, when she goes and sees all those old peoples and they compare watches and her watch is just going slowly and the other ones are spinning out of control. I just thought, oh, that's just such a a beautifully little, cute, wholesome way of looking at time. Because I feel as you get older, time does go by quicker. 
and also let's not forget the uh the dance <laughs> the the sophists dance yep the sophists the dance, dance is so good the dance is <laughs> that's another that's another great scene it's it's just so full of these beautifully animated little moments. The two I remember most is the one where she has the drinking contest with like the the little man with the 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 golden yes. What was the alcohol called that they? <laughs> I don't I don't remember. It was like it was like a uh, I don't remember. It's it's been like three or four months since she I've seen has it. this this crotchety old man. This drinking contest. This young girl drinking contest with this crotchety old man who lives in this this giant train and you're not like what's going on like the whole film is just like what is going on no i <laughs> know Ch- in the best way possible i know chandler and i share a, a favorite scene in this film and it's the film where they're doing the i don't remember what they're eating but it's like a heat oh, oh that yeah, was my the, that's my second one the spicy eating contest is so the spicy good. food that he's trying to eat to win a book like when you try to explain all of this you're like oh god that's so stupid but in the context of the movie, it makes so much sense. What was was it the god of book used book sales or something that <laughs> yeah. is a character? It was the god. It was the god of used book markets. <laughs> it's so random and wonderful. Don underwear who won't change his underwear until he finds the woman that he loves because both a, an apple hit his head and her head at the same time, and then it turns out to be the weirdo surveillance guy at the high school. <laughs> so much of it, you're like. If you it you would sound like you would sound just absolutely insane if you tried to recollect all of the plot of this movie, but when you're watching it, you don't think about it. Yeah, reading the plot summary on on an IMDb or Wikipedia would be a nightmare for this film because it's just so all over the place. You just have to watch it to understand, though. Yeah, talking about it right now, I kind I want to give it another shot. So it's great. And I also, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for movies where the guy doesn't necessarily get the girl because. I feel like a lot of times in those scenarios, it 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 objectifies either the bo- the guy or the girl. And at the end, it it just ends with them going out on a date. He overcomes his own anxiety about asking her out, and they go out. And you don't know if it's going to work or not, but the important thing is that he did it. And I just, ugh. That whole opinion of yours is one of the reasons why you don't like my favorite anime of the decade, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> I don't understand your favorite anime I, of the decade. Okay. I'll be well, completely honest. The god of the old books market is what his the character's name is. Oh, <laughs> the god great. no, he is the god of that particular flea market of books. <laughs> oh, and the guy who walks around the city with his tentacle porn. <laughs> oh, dude. There's so many good characters. There's so many good. About, I we can't... didn't even start talking about Johnny Underwear yet. <laughs> Don Underwear. Don Underwear. Thank you very much. Damn and it. I did. I did talk about him. How could you not talk about him? And then he puts on a play about how he can't find this girl, and then he finds this girl at the end of the play. It's it's weird because I don't I don't sound, I don't point out these characters by their names. I just point out these characters by their really weird quirks. I'm just. I think for me, it's. It's so wonderfully imaginative and nonsensical that that works both for it and against it where I there's an emotional distance I have yeah that I never really connected with the the main idea of the guy getting the girl or like trying to ask her out because it's just so it's almost like background noise to all of this it is. wonderful bombastic animation and so maybe on a review it will that will change and I can appreciate what's actually going on rather than paying full-on attention to Dawn Underwear and all the crazy animation. 
should we get on to the next movie then? Yes. So uh, let's talk about a movie Chandler doesn't like, The Great Beauty. Ooh, this is a good one. You picked you picked three you picked three experience films. Films that are the experience. I love how in the first experience film, Nick's like, it's not a lot of movies I can say, but it's an experience. And the next two movies are like, it's an experience. <laughs> cut that part out where I contradict myself. No. I'll, I'll cut it out. Don't worry. Turn up the volume on that part. <laughs> Pull a Red Later Media where like I contradict myself. Just play the old clip of me saying the opposite over and over again. Like well, I was going to say, do the classic Red Letter Media trick of just like cutting you off right at the end of, the, of your sentence. Just so, like, it seems like you're trying to hide it, but failing. I mean, like, my favorite part about this movie is, and then just cut to someone else talking. Redacted. All right, anyways, The Great Beauty. Great film. Everyone loves it. Next. It's an Italian movie, and by director uh, Paolo Sorrentino, who did the... Most people will probably know him for the HBO TV show, The Young Pope. Uh, this is better. All I'm going to say is it's a, a midlife crisis, or a late life crisis movie, of a... A guy, a writer in Rome who wrote a really popular book when he was younger and he hasn't really done much since and all he's done is live life, the high life as he calls it, in Rome, parties it up every night, uh, sleeps with a different woman every week and just kind of like lets loose and sleeps in until two o'clock in the afternoon every day. And then he finds out that his first love dies and he turns... 65 i think or 66 the opening scene is his birthday party and he just wanders through the streets of rome through various nights and days questions like what is the meaning of this kind of lifestyle that he's been living all these years and like trying to find new meaning to his life in old age it's hard to explain it is uh you can just say eight and a half light it's actually it's more like la dolce vita but eight and a, eight and a half light so you mean like eight and a quarter Yes. Laugh, I mean four and dude. A quarter. I was, I was <laughs> holding that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't hate this movie. I actually like this movie a good amount. This I think is, I like it more a, than eight a, and a half. It's a love letter to the city of Rome. Rome is more of an important character than the lead in this film. Phil, like. I like the lead in this. The, the lead is a lot more passive in What's the sense that Jep? I feel like. Yeah, Jep. 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 Please clap. <laughs> I like I like Jep um, in this movie because he's a uh, he's he's passive in the sense that he's doing a lot of observing, and I feel his presence in every scene, even though he's kind of just it's almost like it's almost like an emotional noir where he's he's doing a little deep dive into why he feels the way that he feels, uh, and also the party scene's amazing. The opening scene is one of my favorite in all of cinema. It's the great. opening party. Oh, the dance! I was gonna say that's probably my favorite edited scene of like the whole decade. That's just my one of my favorite editing choices that anyone, any filmmaker has made this decade. It also, I think, it takes like fifteen minutes to get to your first shot of Jep to in, the introduction of his character, and it's wonderful. It's a great buildup, and the, I think the camera, if you remember, like the, the dancing slows down mm-hmm. and it pans towards him, and he gives an internal monologue to the camera. It, it dolly towards him. Yes. So why do you love this movie, Nick? Because I know you do. I love this movie because I have some weird, I don't know why, but I have some weird soft spot for middle-age crisis films. This one, and I, I have a strange feeling I'll also like uh, Pain and Glory whenever I get to watch that because I've heard it's it's a very similar concept. But this is another this is another film where I it's just so like, I don't know, it's just constructed well. There's not enough films anymore. You know, I'm, I'm going on a rant here. Not enough films anymore are constructed well, right? It's literally just 
they're just they're not written well they they have too many superheroes in them fuck it dude fuck filmmaking go don't don't turn this podcast off dude you don't need to listen to this you have other things to do follow your dreams that's what paolo's telling you to do in this film is to turn the podcast off and go bang your friend's daughter that works at a strip club go write another book after 50 you years won't. I, hey what's uh what's her name harper lee only wrote one book and then she published one after she died yeah so hitler, hitler wrote one it. book oh that's true oh, no this is true. The Great Beauty is a great... It's a film that works a lot on contrasts and juxtapositioning yes. scenes. My favorite is... There's a scene about two-thirds of the way through that I think encapsulates the point of the film. And it's... Jep goes to see the husband of his first love who has remarried. And the husband says... He asks them, what are you going to do tonight? Husband says, we're going to watch some TV. We're going to drink some wine. And go to bed around nine. And then Jep smiles at them and says, what lovely people you are. And then (laughs) hard cuts to hardcore conga line with cocaine and partying and just the excesses of this Rome lifestyle that Jep has been living. And that's a great point like that encapsulates the point of and the feeling of the film in a scene like that, like the character Jep sees that lifestyle is so novel, but you can tell from watching the film that that's like really what he wants deep down. And that's, what's so tragic about it. But yeah, I love this film and I've only seen it once and I knew I loved it. It's incredible. I like, I it. wish I had free time to watch movies and I'd watch it again. Sad. How, how is editing coming along? We'll, we'll diverge from the main subject for, um, for your last little bit on the podcast. I have two capstones I'm editing right now. One of them, I finished the rough cut. One of them, I'm doing the second rough cut this weekend. I got paid by a high school to cut hype videos all week. Um, they're due by Friday afternoon. Um, I'm cutting Chandler's stupid film. Um, I'm cutting Chandler's brother's music video. I'm cutting, um, no, I dropped all the other projects. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. You dropped all these projects, and yet you have a long list of projects. Yeah, I, love I, it. I over the summer I accepted like 15 projects. Truly, be like that. It really do be like that sometimes. Well, since you're the editor of the group, uh, are there any of the best edited films of the decade that we haven't mentioned so far that you you might want to just spotlight quickly before we kick you off? I'll go ahead and give a I'll give a, a humble shout out to my girl Thelma and talk about how the irishman is cut beautifully i don't think it's one of the best films of the decade but that's just the first one that came to mind she's consistently great thelma thelma just one of the best editors that the human race has ever had and the fact that she's still cutting that's great maybe we can weed her out of avid in her old age i can talk to her about that and then honestly it's probably been referenced about 500 times but parasite it's just it's just so fucking good the editing's good. The cinematography is good. The directing's good. Fuck you, Academy. They didn't talk about the acting. It got it got the SAG award for best ensemble. That so. is great. That is great. I was very happy about that. Fingers crossed for best picture, but probably not. I'm hoping. And then also another 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 um, honorable mention for editing. A sleeper, well edited film is Paddington Two. Just putting that out there. <laughs> they have some really cool editing decisions in that film. Not enough can be said. Not enough can be said. Paddington 2 and Parasite and Grand Budapest, top three best designed films of the decade? Question mark? And The Lighthouse. What is that? 
Nothing. So how about you plug your podcast one more time and then get the hell out of here? Um, so my podcast is called Split Take. We talk about films. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my called... My podcast is called An Empty Orchestra. It's called Nothing with Nick Johnson. It's a complete 180 shift of this film. We don't edit our content. Um, we don't talk about films specifically, but it always ends up being that. A lot of film um, people on that podcast. Yeah, I got a lot of film people. Got a lot of creative people. But the the whole point of the podcast is that we literally talk about nothing. We just talk about whatever... Uh, the guest is passionate about, wants to talk about at that certain moment, and we get some really just genuine conversations. So if that sounds like something you're interested in or um, you want to tell me that my film opinions suck or something, check it out. It's anchor.fm slash nothing with Nick Johnson. Fantastic. It's pretty great. So um, it's a great podcast. I, it gets my recommendation. Thank you. Indeed. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Nick. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's been a very long day, and I haven't watched a movie in about a week, so I forgot what oh, they wow. were. Um, but I love you guys, and um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go finish my Apple turnover now. All right. Let's run through the rest of this, Chandler. We will run through because I'll be honest. Uh, two of these I don't have too much to say, but one of them I have everything to say. So I'm going to start it right off with uh, one of my personal favorites, and that is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Good movie. It just missed my top ten. Oh, interesting. It's like number uh, this, 13, I think. This is a movie that precedes my love for movies. Uh, it was a movie that, when it came out in 2010, I wasn't super into movies. It was one of those things that I'd see the big ones that came to theaters, ones that looked interesting. But this is probably the first movie as a young adult that I obsessed over. I've seen this movie upwards of 20 times. I've read the comics. I've played the video game. I am obsessed with this movie, and it still isn't even my favorite Edgar Wright movie, but certainly the best Edgar Wright movie this decade. Um, it has everything I love about not only movies, but everything. Indie rock, hipster humor, video games, ultra dry sarcasm. It's also just insanely well made from a technical aspect or a... Or a a filmmaking uh, perspective. There's some great action scenes, the trademark Edgar Wright visual gags, amazing editing, so many in very memorable lines. And it also has a, a kind of a lot to say about uh, sort of looking inwards to better yourself as a uh, better your romantic tendencies. Amazing soundtrack. Uh, it, it's one of those movies like Dazed and Confused um, that just when you look at it, especially when it was made in 2010, it had so many people that were about to be huge. I mean, Aubrey Plaza, Anna Kendrick, Brie Larson, Chris Evans. Uh, it It's Jason Schwartzman. It's one of those, like, Grand Buddhist Hotel, super stacked casts, but at the time, it wasn't a stacked cast. It's a retroactive stacked cast. Oh, yeah. It's one, it one of my favorites ever. Sure. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna add that it's one of the most fully realized stylistic films ever made. Like Grand Budapest is a full realization of Wes Anderson style. Scott Pilgrim versus the world isn't necessarily even, it is a lot of, got a lot of uh, Edgar Wright's personal style in there, but he developed a style specifically for the film because it's based off like graphic design and, Almost comic book kind of stuff. Not quite, but it is. it implements that into the narrative and into the visual uh, aesthetic of the film. And it's just wonderful, wonderfully creative. It's funny. 
it's it's just a good time you don't have you can just sit back and have watch a a fun movie of a, a guy kicking a bunch of ex-boyfriends kicking their asses and uh, trying to get the girl and it's just a classic example of that that genre of get the girl beautiful uh all right what's your next one so this is this is the one that I've been keeping secret from you because I think it's the only one that I, I don't think you can actually guess. Okay. Except for Zero Dark Thirty because I know you didn't uh, yeah, couldn't guess I that one. But I still don't believe that. This so is, this yeah. is a this is a little film. Well, you haven't seen it, so that's true. Yeah, well, there you go. This I've is a little film, film, little documentary. I don't I don't know actually. Well, all right. It's a little, a little documentary called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Of course, I've seen this one. I, I have Jiro. seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi more times than any other movie this decade. Wow, that is impressive. That's the real shocker. And I'll tell you why. One, it's short. It is short. Two, it it is it's just food porn. So it is. You just get to look at good looking sushi, and it's you know how could you say no? But the main reason why is. You know, it, Jiro Dreams of Sushi is a documentary about this tiny little sushi joint in a subway. And it's supposedly, according to the Michelin Guide and a lot of people uh, who have been there, including like Barack Obama and a bunch of famous high profile people, say that it's the best sushi restaurant in the world. It looks to be that way. The movie is chronicling the life of Jiro, this... 80-some, I think 90-something now, year old man who refuses to retire and just wants to make sushi and literally dreams about sushi and makes it and is so obsessive compulsive about sushi that it's beautiful. And the film is actually equally about Jiro as it is about his son, Mm -hmm. who is going to be taking over the restaurant. And there's a lot of stuff there. But the reason why I like it so much and the reason why I find it infinitely rewatchable is I think it's a great motivational movie. It is. Where the whole point is that Jiro talks about devoting your life to one thing that you love and doing it as much as possible and doing it every day, devoting yourself to your work until you like reach a point of perfection that is, at least in his case, is so admirable and so almost unattainable for everyone else in the world. Yeah. That that level of perfection is only like, that's this is the Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick level of sushi chef. I watch it and I get inspired to like, I need to get on with my life. I need to work on what I love to do and I need to devote more of my time to it. And at the same time, I get to watch uh, good sushi being made. So yeah, uh, you know who, this, Jiro reminds me a lot of Akira Kurosawa. Uh, hmm. I don't know if you ever watched Akira Kurosawa's academy award acceptance speech which was in like 1990 just a few years before he died. i've seen it but it's been a long time so i don't really remember well when akira kurosawa gets his you know honorary academy award in the early 90s he says you know thank you for the award but i don't think you should be giving it to me because i still have a lot to learn um he, he akira kurosawa always had that student mentality of you never really master anything all you can really do is devote all your time into perfecting it and perfecting it and you'll get as good as you can get but you'll never perfect it and i think jiro definitely reflects that sort of uh, idea and yeah this is like 
it's 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 one part just a little food movie it's one part kind of tragedy that the son is just destined to be in the shadow of his father forever but you're right the main thing that draws me to this movie is the inspirational factor if anyone gave even an ounce of the effort that jiro gives to sushi you could achieve any one of your goals regardless if it's cooking film uh, if you want to build a house anything that you want to do jiro will just inspire you to do it i'm pretty sure this film has been constantly on netflix for a long time it has so you can just go watch the first it time i saw it's, it was in like 2012 on netflix yeah it's been it's, on forever it's short it's a well-made documentary really well edited soundtrack is surprisingly good for a documentary and it's got some excellent montage sequences of 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 sushi being served virtually served in front of you and it's a, an interesting portrait of a of an artist does everything a documentary should do that's my number five, I believe, or number six, actually, below Grand Budapest. Here's my number three, uh, second to last on my list, and that is uh, Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Uh, Whiplash. So Whiplash, I won't go too much into why I love Whiplash, but to, to sum it up, amazing script, amazing anxiety-inducing cinematography, and one of the best antagonists of any movie ever in the form of J.K. Simmons because he's an antagonist who you can't really tell if he's an antagonist because a lot of what he says is making sense, but a lot of what he does is not. Uh, but there was a point in my life sometime around sophomore, junior year of uh, college where uh, I kind of felt like, oh, what am I even doing? Do I even want to do I even like movies as much as I think I do, you know, being a filmmaker major and all? And I saw this movie and I was just so blown away by it and I was so impacted by it that at that moment I felt I was in the right track. It sort of bumped me back on. And since then, it's been one I constantly revisit. And it's definitely fallen. It used to be like my second or third favorite movie of all time. And it's fallen a little bit off. But I still think the core of what it is, this question of how far you'll go to achieve your goals, just like in Jiro, but a much more aggressive version of Jiro, is something that I think is endlessly interesting and the soundtrack's great undeniably jk simmons performance is is one of the best of the decade what's his face the main guy is also pretty good miles teller miles teller yeah so my my reaction to this film is a bit more subdued mostly because it hit all of my triggers for anxiety <laughs> and in that sense it was it was very effective like it's very anxious anxious like, I think I wasn't ready for anxiety cinema whenever I watched it the first time. I'm certainly ready for it now because I watched Uncut Gems and that was great. Yeah, same. I was about to say, I, I, I've yet to see this since seeing Uncut Gems and I think Uncut Gems is a new pinnacle of anxiety cinema. Probably, but I think that this Whiplash is one of those movies that I watched once uh, in the decade of 2010s. It's one of those, the, probably one of the top five that I really need to give a second watch because it... I didn't appreciate it fully the first time because I was just so off-put by how <laughs> yeah. frustratedly anxious I was. Classroom anxiety is something that just is terrible. And that's one of the best scenes. Of, it's probably the best scene of that specific brand of anxiety. It's undeniably well-made. The colors. Too. It's a good movie. Intimidating brown. I can't complain. I just, you know, yeah, anxiety. <laughs> how, many, how many do you have left on your list? I got one. Oh, you got one? Oh, well, there we go. Well, it's here. How many do you have? I have one. 
Okay. So, and then we'll go, we'll, we'll re, re we'll say our list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this one is, uh, this is where I'm going to bring my salesmanship because Chandler, this is the one that Chandler has fought me the most on. Oh, I no. think. <sighs> let me, let me get properly seated. My number four movie, my number four favorite film of, of the 2010s and one of my favorite movies ever is the anime Your Name. <laughs> and Chandler doesn't see it. I will say this. He's I, in the minority. I am the minority because a lot of people really, really liked it. A lot of people. It's one of the highest grossing animes ever, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's the highest grossing uh, Japanese film of all time. Oh, wow. Which is surprising because usually I don't. I don't go in for the the popular high grossing stuff because it is it is a crowd pleasing movie. It's not yeah. It's not like an art house film. Yeah. I'm just curious as to your reaction to the film. I know we talked briefly, texted briefly about it, but I never really got your okay. your sense as to yeah. how why you gave it what you gave it. I I that obviously I'm not gonna remember right off the top of my head. It's been a while. I really liked what they were doing in the first act. I thought it was a very interesting twist on the, not even an interesting twist, an interesting execution of the body swap subgenre of movie. I thought the way that they were going about it was inventive and unique and it was fun to watch. And then when it starts getting weird and cosmic in the in the later half, and usually that's where I get more on board, but there's something about it where maybe I didn't even fully understand what happened, but I'm like, oh, go, go back to the fun, cute... <laughs> body swap stuff and maybe that was me maybe it's because i wasn't expecting it maybe if i go in knowing what to expect i'll have a better understanding of it but i just felt like it came out of left field it didn't exactly explore the things that it is set out to explore but i don't know enough to really argue 100 percent. i think of all the movies this decade burning as is the one that i think about the most mm-hmm. in, ter- in an intellectual sense Blade Runner 2049 is the one I think about the most in in an aesthetic sense. Mm -hmm. Paddington 2 is the one that affected me emotionally the most. And Your Name is the one that built a film that is triggering everything I want from cinema. And that's interesting because the way you feel is the way I feel about Night of Short Walk On Girl. Yeah, yeah. It's... It's not even like the ex- the way that it's expressed. Fanny and Alexander is one of, and eight and a half, two of like my perfect films in my mind. Mm-hmm. And they're often, they're more about like personal introspection. Yeah. And this is exceedingly different from them in aesthetic qualities and narrative and everything. So it, it boggles my mind as to why, not why, because I've thought a lot about it, but your name is to tell it succinctly a high school guy and a high school girl find that they wake up in each other's bodies they've swapped bodies and they attempt to figure out what's going on they can't communicate with each other no they cannot directly plot right the best way i can describe your name is in general it is a the cinematic equivalent of a pop song do you see that oh pop song like a pop song oh yeah yeah yeah. it's just loud and bombastic it's not trying to be subtle it's talking about relationships and it's just i can kind of sentimental i can see that it's it's modern in its aesthetic and it's unabashedly what it is see the thing is is that the second half is where it all comes together and becomes an actually great movie that's that's where because uh, yeah it reframes the original 
part of the film that was, you know, just this kind of dumb, fun high school film Mm -hmm. just about these two kids uh, swapping bodies and trying to figure it out and trying to live their life. It reframes it as this idea of like our interconnectedness Mm -hmm. and how the connections we have with people transcend time and space. You can look at the film in a variety of different ways. One of the things that really brings it like another level to me mm-hmm. is the way that it uses dualities of like city versus country, boy and girl. Dead and alive. De- sure. <laughs> it's it's so unapologetically romantic in its messaging and its storytelling. And it is everything that you... Because we've talked before in this podcast how our favorite romance films are the movies where the couple doesn't get together. Uh, In the Mood for Love. and Chunky Express. uh, When Harry Met Sally. All these great movies, they don't get together. But Your Name is like, it's the whole point of it is almost that the universe is bringing these two people together. What sold, what ultimately sells me on it every time I watch it is that it's just so damn likable. Like all the characters, the director, he introduces the way he structures it, where it goes from like the town, the provincial town, and then cuts to a long sequence in the city. Yeah. And you don't really cut back and forth between the two of them. It's just incredibly complex. It's I'm struggling to like find the words oh, to I describe see. what... It is an experience. It is, the, it is a lot. It is a lot to take in the first It's a time. lot to take in. And it might not... It's not necessarily for everyone... But I would certainly say that I think it is so thoroughly inventive and well-made. It's not inventive in the way that The Night is Short and Walk On Girl is. Yeah, visually it's pretty tame. But the atmosphere in the animation is very The animation, by the way, is gorgeous. That's how you can tell good anime. The food. Also, it's one of the few movies where, again, this this movie hijacked everything I don't like about a lot of movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it uses music as emotional cues. Yeah. But it works. Because I think that even if you take away that music, the film works. The thing that I found really interesting is I recently watched the director's next film, Weathering With You. Oh, did you like it? My reaction to that film, I think, is your reaction to your name. Oh, interesting. So you're saying I should go see this. But eh. (laughs) No. (laughs) Now I gotta go see it. It felt less, it didn't connect as much. The music felt more like ham-fisted. Mm-hmm. The relationship felt like, oh, come on. That's kind of far-fetched and all that. And yet it just, it highlighted how much, how well-constructed Your Name is for me. It made me love Your Name even more. And I will never Your Name is anything but it. far-fetched. <laughs> I will say that. It's <laughs> completely real. It's a cosmic meat cute. <laughs> also, I just, uh the 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 girl Mitsuha yeah I love her I don't remember the specifics of these characters I remember a few scenes I remember the end stair scenes I remember when you find out the whole town exploded <laughs> that's devastating it me. is it is I'm laughing but it is devastating you you've made me want to watch it again okay and I will I'm rambling and I'll cut some of this out mm-hmm. but the number one thing that I think gets to me is I'm fascinated by memory and mm-hmm. like the short the shortness and the tendency for memory to trick you to fool you and to just disappear altogether it's one of the reasons why I write a lot about watching movies two times yeah because I, I think you watch a movie and once like a year later your opinion is no longer valid you need to rewatch it in order to have 
the point is, is the whole film is essentially this this journey. The main character Taki it goes on this like falls in love with a city and then realizes that the city is gone forever, and then has to recreate it from his mind. The way the film expresses the the impermanence of the beautiful things in our world and the the incredible, unlikely, improbable nature of our existence of, you know, finding someone you love, of your hometown. You know, Mitsuha complains about her hometown, and yet we as an audience see everything. We love it because it's this gorgeous little small town, little slice of life in the country. And it just made me feel things, and it made me think a lot about, like, memory, and it's r- sappy romance, and I love it. And Well, it's not, t- it's not conventional romance. There's some sappiness, but it's not anything but conventional. Yes, it is highly, the narrative is highly experimental. Mm-hmm. I talk too much. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's a good movie. All right. Well. Well, the final film. I feel like I could still talk another 20 minutes and I wouldn't have adequately expressed myself <laughs> on it. So well, I... that's how I'm going to feel about this next one. Then I'll keep it brief. As brief as I can. Because this next one, we're double dipping here. Because it's not only my favorite movie of the decade, but as of recently, I've declared it my favorite movie of all time. Wh- when was this? About a month ago? You know, I can't... I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> it was Goodfellas. No, 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 no. Oh, this movie? Oh, oh, okay. I reminded myself. Yes. And the movie is The Coen Brothers Inside Lou and Davis. The Coen Brothers are my favorite directors. I have a book that I just picked up about them right here. So many of their movies I love so much. Fargo, The Big Lebowski, Miller's Crossing, No Country for Old Men burn after reading hail caesar so many amazing varied movies that all have this same thematic and comedic sensibility that links them together and weirdly enough so much of that is not present in inside lewin davis definitely a lot of the signatures are there uh it's about a loser it's got some amazing dialogue it's a period piece incredibly well uh realized music but it's a movie that I think about more than any other movie ever made. It says so much about art and artists and what it takes to be one and the sad reality of it all. It has so many great little characters and so many great little moments and so many powerful moments that really sit with you. One, the most powerful of which being his performance for F. Murray Abraham. At the Gaslight in Chicago, where he gives a very soulful rendition of the song Queen Jane and is only met with the phrase, I don't see any money here. I think that right there, that moment, can just basically define art since art has existed. It is passion, but it has to be passion that is wrapped in a commercial uh, presentation or commercial package. And Lewin refuses to see that. And it's because of his refusal of seeing that that his art is so good. But it's simultaneously, it's that refusal to conform that is the reason why he's not successful. It's so sad when you think about it, but it makes me happy that it is so sad because it speaks to this universal truth that so many movies about art, about music, about chasing your dreams just flat out ignore but it does it in a way that 
is kind of inspiring, just making you realize you're not alone in this sort of feeling. It's an amazing soundtrack. It's one of my favorite movie soundtracks of all time. So many great songs. It's funny. Please, Mr. Kennedy is a jam. It's horrible, but it's a jam. Oh, I love it, though. It's so goofy. And it's it's hard to explain, but it's a movie that, again, like all my favorite movies, when I saw it, I thought it was good. And I thought about more. And then I saw it again. And I thought it was great. And I thought about some more. I don't think I've thought about a single movie more in my life than this one. And I'm still get excited upon a rewatch. The first time I watched it, I dismissed it heavily upon further reviewings. It has soared in in my opinion, and it is most certainly one of the best made of the decade. It's one of the great character studies ever made. The music, like Chandler said. Not just the Please Mr. Kennedys, but the no, Hang Me, well. Hang Me's, the Fair the Wells, the Bob Dylan <sighs> the song the well. at the end. Fair oh. the Wells, honey. Yeah. Whatever song that the three, his girl, his... Oh, uh, 500 miles. 300 miles. <laughs> it's not One, No. Miles. 100 miles. 100 miles, 100, 100 miles. miles. Yeah, that one. It's just great. You go on a little journey. You got a great John Goodman performance oh in there. Oh, my God. It's another... It's one of those movies where you return... The movie ends the same place it started... And Much like a folk song, which starts with a chorus, goes into a verse, and ends on that chorus. The movie is essentially like it starts, it shows you uh, and Davis, and the whole film is just explaining who he is, and then showing essentially that same thing and how he's just doomed to repeat. This is who he is, and he's, you know, in a way he's kind of like thematically, he's like Better Call Saul, Saul Goodman, mm-hmm. where in that show, the character of... That Ray Seahorn plays uh, Kim. Kim says, you're always down, Jimmy. And it, like they're both characters who just constantly trying to get succeed in the world. Mm-hmm. And yet through their own actions and their own pessimism and their own view of, of the people around them, just keep putting themselves down. And it's just really well executed. And I apologize for ever doubting it <laughs> in the first place. Also, I just want to point out that this is one of the few Coen Brothers movies without Roger Deakins. And I want to say... That it does not have the same gravitas as a Roger Deakins shot movie, but there are so many little shots in this movie that are so simple, but they have just a, a perfectly captured action that I think about all the time. That shot where he's on this uh, subway and he's falling asleep and as he starts to fall asleep, they get out of the tunnel and the light hits him and he jolts back awake. The shot of him at the diner when he arrives in Chicago, and it's just a shot of his shoes off. His he's drying off his socks, and he's you can just feel how cold that image is. The entire movie is this really depressing sort of uh, uh, muted color grain that I think just speaks to the whole story itself. And one of my all-time favorite lines of dialogue in anything, movies, books, video games, is his little line about being tired not only just the way that that works he says i'm tired i thought i needed a good night's sleep but it's more than that but the defeat in oscar isaac's voice and face when he says that i think about that scene all the time and every time that i see it i get tired i get worn physically emotionally but then at the end i think up oh, well at least i get to live in a world where this movie exists Favorite movie ever. Favorite movie of the decade. 20 out of 10 stars. It's great. 
It's great. I, I cannot recommend it enough. The most likably unlikable protagonist ever. And there's a cat. And there's a cat, and he has a scrotum. It's my second favorite cinematic cat of uh, the, the decade. The decade? Well, it's the cat that may or may not be there in Burning. Oh, I don't even remember the cat. <laughs> no, because the cat only shows up in one scene, and I you're not even sure the cat is, is real. Oh, okay, that's fair. So, what what is your top ten? Recapping the top ten. Ten, The Lighthouse. Nine, Francis Ha. Eight, What We Do in the Shadows. Seven, Paddington 2. Six, Grand Budapest Hotel. Five, Scott Pilgrim. Four, Under the Silver Lake. Three, Whiplash. Two, Night of Short Walk-On Girl. One, Inside Lewin Davis. I do love how both of our lists are very much personal. They are. In like what they, what, what they say about our, our personal taste in filmmaking. And they both have anime. <laughs> they do. They do. My number ten, I didn't bring up because gonna, I'm going to talk about it. Actually, Chandler's going to talk about it in our top 10, uh, official top 10 decade list. But I suppose we could, I could replace, now that I think about it more, I'm going to replace uh, Skyfall with it. So mm. just delete that conversation in post. So, you know, so number 10 is The Social Network. Oh. Number nine is The Wind Rises. Number eight is Parasite. Seven is Francis Ha. Wow. Six is Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Five is Your Name. Four, Paddington 2. Three, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Two, Blade Runner 2049. And one is Burning. And I reserve the right to change that order. Well, he will change that. Before I publish he that. He will change that before Actually, this audio is exported. You know, He's I take it all back. It I take it back. I'm changing it right now. God damn. We're going we're gonna to put Grand Budapest Hotel at five. Your Name at four. Paddington 2 at three. That's, that's a lock. What's it two now? No, two is still 2049. Well, there we go. There you have it. Nothing's changed. That's the list. The, what is on the list probably won't change for a while. Well, the official list as of 928 on Thursday, the 23rd. Yep, that's it. There it is. Wow, that was a journey. A journey with friends. Shortest episode yet. We didn't even talk about a fraction of the movies released in yeah, the decade. It is a hard list, but I'm confident in this list. If this podcast is still around in uh, 2025... We'll talk about the uh, the best of the 21st century so far. We'll revisit it. I'm sure we'll recap more of the the, de- the past decade as we talk in the future. Next week, we're going to talk about The Deer Hunter. And 1917. Should be an interesting conversation on both accounts. Yeah, I'm excited. No guests next week, but we the week after that, we will have our good friend Brenton. from California. Renton will be here. What's his so last name? Bender? Bender, yes. So that's going to be exciting. Look for our official top 10 collaborative list coming within the next week which does have some unique entries on there so not on these lists so there you go all right see ya